This episode of The Naked Truth is brought to you by Swing Time, the time travel WSDC event. Swing Time is taking place July 25th to the 28th in my hometown of Denver, Colorado. In addition to the usual Jack and Jill's, Strictly Swing, All-American, and Rootsie Divisions, they've also got unique fun competitions like the Open Strictly, Footwork Battle, and the One-Footed Spin Strictly Contest. Swing Time also has great learning opportunities. They have leveled workshops with no auditions, solo workshops, and a master's workshop track. Plus, there are two theme nights. Time Travel to the Past, where you dress up as someone from the past, and a Travel to the Future Blacklight Glow Dance, where you dress like you're from the future. Weekend pass prices are currently $149. However, Naked Truth listeners have the ability to time travel back to their $139 price by using coupon code TRUTH during checkout. Just go to swingtimewcs.com forward slash truth to buy your pass today. Again, that's swingtimewcs.com forward slash truth. Get your weekend passes today. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah, and today we're going to take some time to respond to questions from you, our audience. Thank you to everyone who sent us your comments and questions for this episode. Whether or not we respond to your posts and messages in this episode, remember, you can send us your comments and questions anytime. We love to hear your thoughts on the show and on dancing in general. And it also helps us to make this show something that you all want to listen to. And of course, we are so grateful for all the outpouring of support from fans of the show and the dance community at large. It means a lot to us and we are continually trying to produce a show that gets more people thinking, discussing and learning together. Indeed. Uh, before we jump into these questions, um, boy, I feel it coming. Go here, ahead. <laughs> just like the song, but less dirty. Right. Um, so, uh, recently, the U.S. Literally. Open, yeah, the U.S. Open uh, posted online mm-hmm. their swing content judges role mm-hmm. and how that's going to work, mm-hmm. which I don't even know that I can really summarize other than to say there are going to be two swing content judges and a chief judge, as right. always, um, <clears throat> who will be responsible for measuring the quantity of swing content for opus routine divisions and opus is in quotes and capitalized which any fan of grammar would take uh, issue with, but um, (laughs) why is it quoted and capitalized? Why don't you bold it and then italicize it too? Um, So they lay out their whole procedure, which is this 10 point thing Mm -hmm. with more information and a table for examples. I do appreciate them providing examples. Um, thoughts? <laughs> oh, boy. Can of worms. Uh, I'm not happy about it. Um, okay. First of all, I don't like that we're picking, you know, two judges and then a chief judge to decide swing content, especially since there are some people that still don't know what swing content is, right? Sure. Um, And I think the other problem is, is that what if, like we talked about earlier, what if those two swing content judges are so different? 
Yeah, and then the chief judge just says, no, one of you is right and the other isn't. Right, right. Uh, right. I mean, why not have three swing content judges and you can mm-hmm. drop somebody who's totally different from the other two? You know what I mean? At least it would be. And I guess that's the idea of what they're doing, but they're not. I don't know. It's uh, uh, trying to make swing content a science. <laughs> like, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, look, it's it's a challenge. And you and I here on the show have talked a lot about swing content and the importance of having clear criteria. Mm hmm upon which we're evaluating routines in particular. Um, so on the one hand, I appreciate that they've stepped up to the plate. They're making an effort to try and do something. That I recognize. What they've come up with, and we talked about this with Charlotte, is it's just getting more and more complicated. Well, and I, I think, you know, part of the problem too is like they went public with something. They came up with something without really consulting like a lot of people who are uh, knowledgeable, respected, relevant, mm-hmm. you know, in the community. And there's about, I'm going to say, I don't know, 12 of us, if I go through, you know, down the line. Um, and, uh, you know, they're making a decision based without consulting all of us who travel, who know the dance, who talk about the dance constantly, who do the dance, who compete at the dance, um, who've been on both ends of the spectrum, meaning we've been on the end of the competitor where we've been questioned for swing content as competitors. And we've been on the other side of being judges where we've had to scrutinize and say, this is swing or it isn't um, swing. So I just find it, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of a slap in the face to the people who really take pride in the stance that they weren't consulted about it. But also, you know, you, you make, you make a, a decision like this and now it puts the dance community into this whole whirlwind of like panic and, what do we do? And, 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 and you make this decision at the largest event of the year. Right. Why not test this out first? Yeah. Like do it, test this out first at a couple of events, see if it works, you know, and then decide maybe we should do this at the open, not make the open, the Guinea pig. It just, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just bad business. It's yeah. a bad business decision. Forget about dance decision. Um, I, I agree that I, a would certainly want them to seek feedback, you know, mm-hmm. to come up with this in a vacuum um, without any input, like you said, gaining from the wisdom of the crowd of the people right. who have been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still not clear on who exactly came up with this. Who knows? Right. Um, I mean, yes, quote unquote, we can speculate, open, but I don't know who sat down and, and like worked this out in a room. Um, if they did get feedback, then they should acknowledge, hey, <laughs> we did that, but there was no sort of open call for feedback or, you know, you were not consulted. I don't know if anybody else was reached out to personally to provide feedback on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. And then I, I agree. I think it's a good point about, you know, the U S open being the premier prestigious top event and, and you're, you're experimenting with, the, at- with a, something new at the top level, the, as opposed yeah. to, like you said, sort of testing it out or, or maybe run this as an experimental kind of side thing sure. this year and see That's how it fine. might affect scores. And if, right. it, if it, if you think it's going to work, then, then you officially roll it out next year. Absolutely. Um, so I, th- I think that's a good point. Um, you know, we talk a lot about swing content and we do. <laughs> I just think, honestly, I think those two words together are stupid swing content. 
Say what more. do you mean? What? Well, context. I mean, you know, just by looking at the, the dance, what it's you, you understand that it's swing. I mean, what, what do you mean by content? Like uh, triples, sugar push, push pass whip. I mean, you know, it's only in West Coast swing that we've come up with swing content. They don't talk about it in the Lindy Hop world. They don't talk about it in the shag world. They don't talk about shag content. Right. So I, I just, again, it just baffles me. Like, what is going on? Again, I feel like I'm in an alternate universe. It's happening again. <laughs> well, West Coast Swing pushes mm-hmm. the envelope more than any other dance. It, it has evolved more than any of its sister dances. Um, yes. In large part because we evolved to the music. Yes. And so a dance like Lindy, and granted, I started doing Lindy and then stopped. But I was doing Lindy, gosh, uh, 18, almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it went through changes. Mm-hmm. Right. It's undergone changes, but a lot of those changes were actually going back to the roots of the dance in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while the, I think the style and the music has changed, it's still within mm-hmm. a rather narrow envelope. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Michael and Leanne talked about how Shag is also, you know, when they're pushing the dance, it's still within a narrow sure. range. And in West Coast Swing, right. <clears throat> it gets to the point where the dance sometimes is not recognizable. That doesn't seem to happen, like you said, in Lindy and Shag. I never watch mm-hmm. a Lindy competition or a Shag competition and say, I don't know what I'm watching. My, my point is, is that when it's, I, I don't need a, a, a set of bullet points of what swing content is to recognize when I'm watching right. a dance that it's not swing. I don't need that. I've been doing swing long enough and understand how the dance works. Right. I think we're making all of these, you know, rules and things and stuff be- because we have so many people who are judging who don't know. Mm. Come on. So let me ask you this question. No. It's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good segue to my question, which is we talk a lot about the importance of swing content. Mm-hmm. Why is it important? Why, why does it matter? I mean, if we're watching a routine and they don't have a lot of swing, but it's great art, why does that matter? Because we're not, because we, we've, uh, we've added competition to it where you're being judged and we're adding money. So it's not art anymore. It's a contest. Okay. So why does it matter if the non-swing competitor routine does well or makes it to finals? Why does that matter if their swing content is less than somebody else's? Because there's rules. Everything's got rules, right? So if we didn't have a rule that said you had to have a certain percentage of swing, we wouldn't be having this conversation? I don't think so. That's interesting. I don't think so. I think we might talk about it, but it wouldn't be come up that, it, you know, we, it's, it's a big issue because we have a set of rules and a guidelines and this and that and da-da-da-da-da. And we put, we put West Coast Swing in this little box because we're, com- we're competing now. And when you compete, you have to have rules and you have to have guidelines. Um, I just think sometimes we micromanage those rules and guidelines. Yeah. Well, it just raises a question in my mind of what if we had less rules? I mean, when, when I talk about swing content and why it's important to me, and Mm -hmm. I've said this before on the show that for me, it's about, I mean, part of it is recognizing the history of the dance and what this dance is at its essence. And the Mm -hmm. other is for the sake of competitions, that 
those people who compete and do routines in particular are setting the direction for everybody else. Sure. Right. And so yeah. uh, I certainly want to see the dance grow and evolve. I like seeing the changes. Mm -hmm. But you can do that within the framework of West Coast Swing, right? Yes. So when you say, well, we need rules and guidelines for competition, <clears throat> that's about creating a level playing field, right? Correct. We want people to be on a level playing field, but... Because it's competition. Yes. But we've mm -hmm. also talked about how there are other criteria upon which we can judge a dance, right? Mm -hmm. um, quality of movement, timing, difficulty, all these other things. Right. But qu quality of movement, timing, and difficulty are all different in different dances. Yes. Timing's different in cha-cha, sure. right? Than, than West Coast. And uh, the quality of movement of cha-cha is different than the quality of movement of West Coast. They both have quality of movement. Right. But their quality is different. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to keep things reg regimented, but in, in, in a specific way so that we can understand what we're watching, because we can't use quality of movement, timing, teamwork and technique, just the only way to say what West Coast Swing is, because we can use those three things that we just said for all other dances. Right. I just feel that, like you <clears> said, <throat> if we had judges who know what swing is, they're either right. saying I'm watching a swing routine or I'm not. Um, mm -hmm. Almost. And I think Charlotte said this too, that it's almost a binary thing. <laughs> like I'm either watching swing or I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, to scrutinize and say, well, is it 63% or is it 58%? Because the bar is 60. And who's to say, you know, what percentage is because, you know, I just looked at the, the thing that they posted for the world swing dance council. And, and one of the things that they said, like, you know, one footed spins is not considered swing yet. I can do a, passing tuck and I could do one and two, three and four. And instead of tripling to get around, I could stay on a one foot and turn for five and six. And that's part of my triple for my West coast. It's part of our swing dance. What one footed spins. Yeah. We do I mean, them. I get a feeling that they're not talking about a Dallas pass. You know what I mean? Where you're doing like two beats of a one footed spin or you're doing a uh, syncopation where you're doing a single instead of a triple. My guess is they're talking about the one footed spin that lasts 12 counts. Well, and that's just part of the, the, the show part of the dance. Right. And that's where nobody's required to have a hundred percent swing. No, but, but you don't I want a dance that's like all one footed spins. Yeah. And who's going to do that? Right. Exactly. There are plenty of routines that have lots of either one footed spins or walking, just walking. They walk sure. to that side of the floor. They walk to that side of the floor. They walk to the audience. <laughs> right? Right. But honestly, I, I really can't imagine anyone doing a routine full of one-footed spins just for the simple fact that most people don't have good one-footed spins anyway <laughs> right, right. to continuously do them. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so there's that. Yeah. I mean, look, I agree with you. I mean... I just don't feel like there are a lot of routines that are doing zero swing content, right? I agree with that statement. But there are some routines where you are watching and you're going, am I still watching swing? That, you that, that you know, like 30% of the routine is swing. I get it. I get it. I've seen those routines too. I get it. Um, but does, does changing... To me, it's not, it's not how we've defined swing or what swing content is it's 
it's the choice of music that people choose that make you create more swing or less swing in your routine. Hasn't it always been the case that yes. people are choosing music? Right. Right. And you talked about this, how your routine was not for swing content. And, you know, I've, before you, like, uh, when Mario does 32 counts of, right. you know, Foxtrot or whatever dance he was doing mm-hmm. in the middle, um, mm-hmm. or Barry Jones dances to a hustle song. Mm-hmm. Those are still iconic routines. So yes. when we say the music is a, is a factor, I mean, to what extent? Because history may change our minds. Like all the conversations we're having now about routines that aren't swing, like in 10 years, we may say, oh, that was great swing. <laughs> right. But except those two people that you mentioned that dance to like, you know, the uh, uh, Mario did shake a groove thing. And that's where he did the foxtrot in it. Right. Right. And it was just for. There's 32 counts. Yeah, and yeah. the last 16 were pivots. Okay. Um, but I mean, we still say it's an iconic swing routine. And it was, right. it was, it was and, amazing. But, and for the. And for the all the rest of that routine, he swung yes. his arse off. And yeah. Barry Jones, uh, too. And again, you know, those songs still allotted for more swing movement, I would say, than a lot of the songs that we hear now. Mm-hmm. That's all. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I was questioned for swing content with a, you know. A blue song. <laughs> with a sick and tired. Jesus. For the, and if you watch it, I mean, it swings its arse off yes again so it's it's not to me it's not i feel like most swing dancers um who've been doing it enough know what swing is and and show it in their routines and then there are others who are kind of new to the to the dance or the scene and and are just you know trying figuring out their creative process Mm -hmm. and all that stuff because you know choreographing a swing routine is not an easy thing no um it kind of puts you in a box a little bit because you have you have that swing content thing in your back of your head, right? Right. So it's hard to be organic the way you are, like say, in Jack and Jill's and Strictly or spontaneous, right? I think Robert Royce made a good point too about people who are choreographing the big moments mm-hmm. and then trying to fit swing in between, right? As opposed to you know when we talked to Kyle and Sarah and they choreographed uh i think it was johnny be good and they just kind of danced right they had a swing dance and then built that into a choreography Mm -hmm. Um, i think the approach can make a huge difference because yeah there are probably a lot of people who are trying to choreograph to the music and i agree with you i think the music um i mean the music has always pushed our dance sure and maybe people are trying to be and if you look at routines over time our dance has gotten way more articulate in expressing the music. Absolutely. But now it's getting to a point where we're getting so articulate that, that we're losing a little bit of the, the structure. Sweat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think it's this <clears throat> challenge to, again, have fair competitions mm-hmm. where you're saying, Hey, there's some common guidelines, but the idea of a specific number you have to hit and people sitting with stopwatches to see if mm-hmm. the number of beats is, the right percentage. It's just kind of, it just seems like overkill. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully people who dance this dance want to take that and put it into a routine form, right? Where the foundation is what they would do on a social dance floor, but elevated for a routine as opposed to coming up with new stuff and then trying to make it swing. Or don't really care 
what the U.S. Open has decided and put your art on the floor and just see what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, again, I realize it's a competition, but if, if, you, if you're really frustrated about, Jesus, like, you put me in this box and you're, you're, you know, you're taking me out of my artistic element, then don't worry about what the rules are and just go out there and put your stuff on the floor and forget about it. Right. Yeah. You know, I look at the U.S. Open and they say they're going to hold people accountable to a certain percentage of swing. Mm-hmm. But then if they don't make it, they can still succeed. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like if you broke the rules in any other sport, it's not like, well, go ahead. Right. <laughs> like Give you a slap on the wrist. I mean, yes, in certain sports, you get like a yellow card before you get kicked out of the game. But like you get a say, warning. Yeah. But mm-hmm. to say that swing content is super important, we're going to have these separate judges to measure swing content, but then you can still place. Right. But, but here, and here's the other thing. <clears throat> The other thing is throughout the whole year during competition, when we're not really, you know, adamant about uh, swing content, it's not, it doesn't really come up at a lot of events. And then at the end of the year, at the biggest event, now it's this big, you know, thing. It should be, it it should be something that's across the board all year round happening so that when you get to the open, you're not surprised or, or anything like that. But also, you know, me as a judge, you know, at the open one year, I, I didn't violate anybody for swing content. And they, they were like, they scolded me mm-hmm. for it. And, and my answer was, well, we don't violate anybody all year. And now we're going to violate them at the end of the year of the biggest competition. I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. So as, cause as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I could possibly find a way probably to violate everyone in the division. Kind of at some right. point, you know what I mean. So I'm I'm going to violate no one. And that's where an organization like NASD should be stepping in, at least for its events, right? There, there would at least be ten, eleven events that would be holding people accountable if there was some sort of consistency right, across the, them. Right, but I also think NASD's the people that are part of NASD also don't want to be told how to run their event, sure. and I don't blame them. You shouldn't have to be told how to run your event so that it could be in line, you know, with the U.S. Open and vice versa. But the U.S. Open's in line, you know, with everyone else. It's like, again, you know, NASD was was a way to track points for classic and showcase Mm -hmm. and some strictly swings. And now that's turned into a different animal. Right. Right. And World Swing Dance Council was used to track points, you know, for Jack and Jill's. And now that's turned into a different animal. So, I mean, I don't know. So if event directors should not be told how to run their event, mm-hmm. then why can't the U.S. Open hold a higher standard of swing content and expect their judges to do that? Or do you think the U.S. Open shouldn't do that because nobody else is doing it? Well, because the U.S. Open is part of NASD, we've just, we have an umbrella here, right? And NASD has a specific set of rules. Right, but if NASD isn't um, holding other events to that same standard of swing content, even though they are the ones who are the holders of the statement of swing, mm-hmm. and then the U.S. Open says, well, we're going to do it, you know, why can't they do that? You know, you as a judge to say, well, I'm at the U.S. Open, they're holding a higher standard, I'm going to hold them accountable even though nobody else did. 
Oh, boy. You know? To uh, their credit, I know Boogie by the Bay, anyway, mm-hmm. um, does look at swing content in their yes, routines. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, not long before the Open. Um, right. But I know there's at least that event, and I'm sure there are mm-hmm. a couple of others who will do that. Maybe not with swing content judges, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way. But I feel like there is some accountability around swing content in other NASD events. Yeah, it's just not all of them is what I'm saying. It's yeah, not that's not, fair. You know. But I feel like competitors do get to road test their routines yeah. with some sets of judges. Right, but at, but at the end of the day... <laughs> Oh, Deborah. <laughs> there, there, there are just some sets of judges that just don't know swing content. And yeah. they'll dock you on swing content and I'll be like, they've totally swung in that routine. Yes. You know? Well, the idea of having multiple judges should right. be that, right? Different right. opinions <clears throat> are coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, I feel like what you said earlier, if judges were educated about swing content, would we be having this conversation? You know, if there was consistency and of understanding of what swing dancing is, would we even need all of this to make sure that judging was fair? Possibly not. Mm -hmm. Which gets us to, before we get to the questions, um, the lovely and talented and amazing Brandy Guild posted her own thoughts Mm -hmm. on all of this swing content. Mm -hmm. And she said, a dance is defined by four primary characteristics. They are one, rhythm structure, two, spatial structure, three, pattern structure, and four, character and motion of the dance. West Coast Swing, for example, would be as follows. One, the rhythm structure is walk, walk, triple, triple, or walk, walk, triple, walk, walk, triple. Two, the spatial structure is slotted. Three, the pattern structure is push, pass, whip, and tuck, connected by a two-beat stretched redirection. And four, the character and motion of the dance is rolling action of the foot, ankle, and knee in conjunction with delayed weight transfers. Yep. That's a beautiful explanation of what West Coast Swing is. And easy to recognize while watching dance, good dancing. Right. And mm-hmm. Charlotte Bott had a similar thing where she talked about sure. the musical identity and the physical or structural identity of the dance. And there, mm-hmm. again, we've talked about this, but you ask people who are well-versed in West Coast Swing. And they'll come up with the same characteristics around rhythm and timing, the slot, stretch, pass, push, whip, and ways of moving. Yeah, we all talk about it. So I feel like people who are educated about swing content Mm -hmm. are on the same page. Yes, except those are not the ones that are being consulted. That may be the case. And also it, it leads to this question in my mind of still, if we know all these characteristics... Should it be so specific of like 60%? So Brandy makes the point of, you know, if you're missing all four of these characteristics, it's clearly not swing. But what if you're missing two? What if you're missing one? Does that count as swing, right? There's still all these. So, so no, no, but it's, it's clear though. If you're missing two of the four, then it's definitely a different dance. Uh, so we've talked about like the character and motion of the dance, right? And a mm-hmm. lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're trained in another dance, you know, they may have great quality of movement, but they may not have the action that looks like swing to us. Right. Um, particularly in the lower half, as Brandy points out, foot, knee, and ankle. Um, mm. So they may not have that, and they may change the rhythm, but it may still be slotted a push, a pass, and a whip for 18 to 16, or 8 to 16 counts. Does that mean they're not doing West Coast Swing? 
yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a gray area, right? Right. I mean, that's what I mean is like, yeah, we're trying totally. to set a, a clear Parameter. and objective benchmark by which we're evaluating right. competitors. And that is sure. admirable to me. It's just that mm-hmm. it is fuzzy. This is an art form. And to some extent, it is just subjective. <laughs> like you may mm-hmm. watch, you may watch somebody who doesn't have the character in motion of the dance and maybe they change their rhythm pattern, <laughs> but they're doing a pass and a push and it's yeah, slotted. Yeah. And you may go, that's totally swing. They're just adapting it to the music. And somebody else will be like, well, they're missing two out of the four. It's not swing. <laughs> right? Right. So we're still coming down to, to people's opinions. And I still feel like, or I shouldn't say opinions, but judgment calls. And I feel like it's if we still just had judges who either knew swing or not, they would get to say on their scoring sheet, I didn't feel like there was enough swing content or I did, period. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if enough judges feel like there wasn't enough, then you have some sort of penalty for it right and then if the competitors have questions they should be able to talk to the judges and say well they have that at the end of the weekend at the right open. but i mean at all of these events where they're where they're going to measure swing content you know sure to get that feedback and say but i feel i feel like maybe the idea of a binary it was enough or it wasn't to say it's a west coast swing routine and then each judge can have their own notes and feedback on why they felt that way and the competitors can do with it what they want you know, it's funny because, you know, if we, if we go back in time of West Coast Swing, I feel like this has been a, a, a subject matter for West Coast Swing since I can remember. I feel like every 10, every 10 years we go through, like, we need more better, better rules or a better explanation or, you know, swing content, yada, yada, this whole thing. And now they just said they're going to take away, you know, the video review. And, and I think that's right. a mistake. That's a, that's a big mistake. Especially since, you know, one judge could see something and another judge missed it. Mm-hmm. And so they judge differently. All right. And then we realize, oh, maybe we should look at the video. Maybe their foot didn't come off the floor or maybe it did come off the floor, you know, or maybe they fell or they didn't fall, whatever, whatever the case um, may be. I think, you know, having the video just also keeps them honest. Yeah. As you know, oh, you know what? The foot was on the ground, so let's change that ruling. You know what I mean? Yes. No, I agree one hundred percent. I was kind of taken aback by the fact that they're taking away the video review for exactly that. Human eyes are not perfect. You're not going to see everything no. in every moment. And sometimes on technical things like a foot on the floor or off the floor, no. you need to check the video to confirm. I mean, they have video review for major sports. Right. Like, I mean, come on. Right. Like, why wouldn't you have video review for this? If, if you're going to make these rules that people have to abide by, there are certain rules, mm-hmm. then there should be video review right. to make sure those rules weren't broken. Yes. Intentionally. Well, it's going to be fun. Interesting <laughs> to watch this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope the competitors don't take all of this too seriously. I want to see people just go and put their thing out on the floor. And you know what? This, this is all just going to work out some one way or the other and just do your thing. I feel if every, all the competitors don't care, then, and, and say everyone gets violated (laughs) at the open, then what happens? There's no winner. There's no winner. Do it like ballroom. You'll have like three third place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I mean, yes. Just absolutely. Look, it's a, 
stepping back meta picture again the dance is always growing it's always evolving this conversation has been going on for decades yeah what is swing content um it's gonna keep going like i just don't see an end to it because again there's always gray area it's always a judgment call people should dance what they dance people will love what they love they will not like what they don't like and we're gonna go on and i feel like if you know Again, I do believe that we should have some sort of guidelines and all that stuff because it's important. But if we overdo it, you know, on the guidelines, then our dance is going to lose its um, its ability to have versatility and creativity, you know, because we stick it in a box like right. ballroom in Latin and we don't want that. And as much as, at least for myself, as much as I will talk about wanting to see great swing or wanting to hear a variety of music or complaining about too much pop music at the end of the day, it is about the versatility. I want to see a range of things. I want to see, I want to hear blues and I want to hear pop. I want to hear jazz and I want to hear rock. I want to hear a little less of shape of you, but like if you throw one in every now and then I'm okay with that. Like this dance is always adapted to whatever the music was of the time. We each have our own personal preferences and Mm -hmm. I really do want variety. Variety of expression, variety of music. Yes. Um, We don't want everybody to look the same. And if that music moves you and doesn't move me, that's fine. You can still do a great dance to it. It may not be my Mm -hmm. cup of tea, but it may be inspiring for somebody else. And that's great. Right. So I agree. Keep doing your art, people, even though it is a sport. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, just like try not to let it like, don't get in your head so much about it. Yes. It's not worth it. So. With all of that said, let's jump into oh boy. some of these questions we got from our audience. Okay. Um, and actually, speaking of routines, let's start with this first question from Melissa Weinish here in San Francisco, California. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. You sent us a message, and in it you wrote, You said in the All-Star episode that All-Star is not a stepping stone for champion, which I thought it was. Can you explain what the stepping stones are? How did the champions become champions? What's the process? Okay, well, there's there's basically, there's no specific rule. There's kind of an unwritten way of getting to champions. Um, and I'm going to say that that is competing in classical showcase and being successful, competing in Jack and Jill's and being successful, and competing in Strictly Swings and being successful. Um. Then the other thing is having champions pull you up mm-hmm. in a strictly and in a champion strictly. And that helps you get to stay or, you know, in champions. Um, and also, you know, once you get to champions, you have to stay there. That's the, that's the, mis- that's the problem that a lot of all stars have. They, they go in and out. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't really stay up there. Um, and part of it is because, a lot of us champions are still alive and dancing. Right. <laughs> um, so there's really no that many doors open. Um, but there's no like, if I do that, this will happen. Right. It's just, it's kind of been, the natural progression has been, if you competed in Classic and Showcase and you've been in the top five, as well as been successful in Jack and Jill's and Strictly Swings, that kind of, geared you into champions. Yeah. I mean, I think 
the more common path. I always see routines as being a critical piece of that. And I think it's a combination of things when you do a routine. One, doing a routine and working on it so hard that you stand a chance of standing up there with these other greats means you Mm -hmm. put in the work. And you've probably really improved your dancing. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're going to earn the respect of both the other champions and the judges. So they start seeing you as a champion because Mm -hmm. you've put in a champion's level of effort and you've produced a champion's starting to produce a champion's level of results. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really big part of it um, because one, I feel like the champions themselves kind of have to accept you. Like you said, they start asking you to do a strictly, right? right? They want to draw you in competitions where Mm -hmm. there are these events where the, the champions draw, um, decide who's going to be in the finals with each other. You want to be up for consideration, right? Um, You want that if, of the two open slots for a leader in the champions division, because you know the other eight are going to be taken by people who are like far superior to everybody else. Right. If you earn that spot, that you're going to be accepted and produce good dancing that's going to keep you there. Right. right? So I feel like that's a really important piece of it. Um, but also the people who are judging the champions division, where there is, say, a prelim, mm-hmm. those are a lot of the same people who are judging routines. And if they saw you do a great routine and deliver, yes, they're probably still going to watch those top champions and be impressed. But hopefully they start seeing you as someone with potential or on their way to to sitting up there with the other ones. Right. I think it's a lot about earning respect by proving your skill, your dedication, your Mm -hmm. character. Because the other Mm -hmm. thing, too, is there are certain people who start working their way up and their character keeps them from getting up too right. high or staying up there. Right. Yeah. Or their work ethic or, you know, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a different animal, you know, champions. And, um, it's not just, Oh, I'm a good Jack and Jill dancer or I'm a good strictly swing dancer. It's a, it's a whole package. I think. Right. I mean, cause if you look at the champions that are in champions, we've all done all three successfully. Classic showcase, yes. strictly swing, Jack and Jill. Right. Yep. Um, so there's that. And what you said about uh, work ethic is kind of what I meant by saying character. I mean, if you have mm-hmm. attitude, if you have ego, mm-hmm. if you um, don't act professional, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to maintain your position up there for very long. Right. You're not going to get hired as much and that's going to affect your reputation all these other things that factor into it. Right. So it is not a linear process. Everybody kind of has their own journey, but there yep. are some common elements, like you said, being successful right. in routines, Jack and Chelsea and Strictly. Exactly. I mean, and also too now, I mean, there's such an influx of, da- there's so many dancers now um, on the circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot, the champions that are champions now, we've all been champions for about 20 years. It's a long time. You know what I mean? So the new champions, whenever they come up, they have to, you got to be able to stay there. Right. Yes. So thank you for the question. Let's look at our next question. And I'm, I'm going to pull a Karnak the Magnificent on you here. Oh, boy. A little Johnny Carson for you. Karnak the Magnificent on this next question, which is a three-parter. Mm-hmm. The answers are yes, yes, and yes. Oh, Okay. <laughs> 
Here's the question. <laughs> this one comes from Roger Chin in London, England. Mm-hmm. When on one's West Coast Swing Dance journey, one, does the information change from level to level? Two, does our perspective change? Three, does the level of explanation change depending on what the teacher thinks the individual or class can manage? Well, Eric, you are correct that it's yes, yes, and <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, I think that's what, it's not just dancing. I think it's it's everything. It's like, you know, if you take a level one chemistry class and then mm-hmm. a level two chemistry class, uh, you know, information changes from level to level. The information in level one chem is different than the information in level two chem. Right. That's and, exactly the analogy I was thinking. It was like a math class. You yeah. Know, you're working your way up. Um, the greater your knowledge, then you're going to learn. Hopefully you're not relearning the dance. And this right. was my experience kind of early on where uh, I learned at a, at a, you know, the first few levels of dance, I finally made it into the advanced workshop. I think it was with Kyle and Sarah and it was on a Sunday, you know, all the, the all levels were on Saturday and I was invited into the advanced workshop on Sunday. I was super excited. And all of a sudden it was like, Hey, everything you had learned. Yeah. Ignore that. Here's how you really dance. And I was like, not, <laughs> not Kyle and Sarah's fault. Right, you know right, what right. I mean? Like they were just showing right. me things that I was like, why has nobody told me this before? Right, right, right. And uh, which is why a lot of my teaching approach is about telling people now what they're going to need later, <laughs> because mm-hmm. I don't want them to have the same experience I did. So hopefully what you're learning doesn't radically change, but it's certainly going to deepen. And so at each level, you're going to get new information, different information, but hopefully it's deepening or building on the previous level, not transforming it into something. Right. And I think it's, I think it's important to understand too, because, you know, our dance is continuously evolving, right? We talk about this, you know, all the time. Um, And the end outcome that we're all trying to get to in this dance is always the same. Mm -hmm. How we get there changes as the dance evolves a little bit. Like, Right. You know, so we oh, the, the end result is always the same. It's just how, how we, what words we're using or what, you know, terminology we decide to use for for a step at the time or um, how we feel about connecting at that moment changes because of the music, the partnership and all that stuff. But the end result is always the same. Right. And then because of that, because we're learning more, because we may uh, evolve the dance, our perspective certainly changes. So when you're at a mm-hmm. higher level of competency and you start learning about more nuanced connection, you start learning mm-hmm. about more nuanced partnership or how you can evolve your musicality, that's going to change mm-hmm. your view of the dance as will your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've talked about this on the show that I find that, you know, beginners going to have one view of the dance. Um, and then as they start gaining some competence, they're going to start understanding other people's dancing and how they interact with them a little differently. Um, Mm -hmm. That may affect, we talked about this with Divya, may affect their own confidence and their own uh, feelings about their own dancing. Like your perspective will continue to change and hopefully people will continue moving towards finding their place in the community. But it's absolutely going to change over time. And as you continue on your dance journey um, and the, and the scene changes. So, you know, it's always a kind of a moving target. Um, and then, you know, the level of explanation changing depending on what the teacher thinks the level or class can manage. I hope so. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and also, like, level of explanation, even, like, level of understanding. Like, there might be something that you've you learned, you know, five months ago that a teacher 
explained to you and it was hard for you to grasp. And then five months later, because now you have more knowledge, right? right? Because you've been in longer. Now you go back to it. You're like, oh, that's what the instructor meant. Yes. So sometimes that needs to happen as well. Yeah. And I'm training teachers now um, to teach at MCS. And one of the things that we have talked about, well, first and foremost is, as you and I have talked about, Deborah, being responsive and adaptive to who's there in the room. Right. But also being mindful of how what you say has an impact on the student. Because everything Mm -hmm. does, whether you want it to or not. (laughs) So... Mm -hmm. For some students, I don't actually want to go too in-depth because they're going to be too distracted or overwhelmed with all the details. Right, right. And other students I see have a greater uh, comfort level with more information, and I can get a little more in the weeds because it's going to benefit them. Right, you have to assess your student. Yes, and same with the whole class. So you look at your whole class and then, you Mm -hmm. know, group diagnosis is kind of another beast, but you have to be able to assess a whole group of people and decide what to do with all of them, even though all of the individuals may be a little different. Right. Which is why there's a lot of instructors, smart ones that like say the same thing five different ways. Right. So that everyone gets it. Yes. Actually, this next question. Uh Uh-oh. Every time you say this next question, I'm I'm nervous. (laughs) This next next question comes from Thomas Clyde. Hi, Thomas. In Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Hi, Thomas. Thanks for writing to us. He writes, something I'm curious about and would love to hear y'all talk about on a podcast. I didn't know Ottawa used y'all. Me neither. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, this is a good segue from our previous question. How much of a separation is there between, one, acquiring the knowledge of technique elements and or how they fit together, two, the skill of judging someone's dancing in a teaching class context, and three, the skill of judging someone's dancing in a competition context. I'd love to hear your opinions on how much these are three separate entities that an individual needs to work on or how much they overlap or are the same. Oh, I feel like they overlap and we can't have one without the other. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you have to have the knowledge and experience the knowledge and have judged the not. I mean, it's you can't. We've talked about this before where I've said you can't just go out and take a test that certifies you as a judge and boom, right. now you're an amazing judge. I mean, have you done a lift before? You don't have to do it well. I say this all the time. You don't have to do it well, but you had to have at least experienced it. Right. So to me, they're all together and there's not, and, and there's not much of a separation, meaning once you once you're doing one, you overlap into the next and, and go in depth into that and then further. So that's my answer. It's my final answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to phone a friend? Final answer. Um, yeah, for me, so the latter two here, the skill of judging or assessing someone's dancing, I hope you're assessing them and not judging them in a teaching right. context. Um, and the skill of judging or evaluating someone's dancing in a competition context are one and the same, mm-hmm. you know, any good judge training program would have you learn how to diagnose or assess somebody's dancing, regardless of whether you are teaching or judging. It's the same skill. And if you want to be a responsive teacher or you want to be a good judge, it's the same skill. I got to be able to see what's in front of me and know where to go from there. And also be able to verbalize what's in front of you. Yes. Right. Yeah. To articulate what it is you're seeing and why. Mm -hmm. So to me, those are the same. And of course, 
you can't properly assess what's happening and understand what's going on if you don't have the knowledge of technical elements. And I wouldn't say and or how they fit together and how they fit together. Right. Um, and again, I'm training teachers now. And this was the very first skill that I worked on with them was diagnosis. Um, mm -hmm. How do you look at a dance and see what's going on? And what's interesting is a lot of people who have some experience can see, oh, this thing's off with the footwork here, this thing's mm -hmm. off with the posture there. But what they don't always realize is how all of those things are related and interacting mm -hmm. with one another so that mm -hmm. the footwork is off there because that exactly. thing's uh, off there. Cause and effect. Yes. yes. And I think it's really important whether I'm uh, assessing a student or whether I'm judging in a competition, I'm mm -hmm. looking for how those different things that I'm observing relate together so that I have a more comprehensive understanding. I also right. think it helps. And this came up for me while training other teachers that it helps, I think to do away with biases because a lot yeah, of people sure. will look at just footwork because that's what they're fixated on, or they'll look at just the free arm or whatever it is. And I think learning to see all of the different elements and how they fit together mm -hmm. will help you get a more comprehensive picture sure. of what, what you're looking at. And I mean, also, it's important to understand that there there are some people who have a knack, like they have a good eye, like they can see, mm -hmm. like what's good and what's not. But they don't have the vocabulary or the extensive knowledge to be able to um, say exactly what's wrong, like you said, yes. diagnose. So uh, this is why they're all they all they all need each other. Yes, and different teachers that I've worked with or trained. Um, yeah, in some cases, they're like, okay, I see something's off with this. I see something's off with that. I'm like, what isn't that? It's just wrong. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm glad you can see that it's wrong, but you need to get to a deeper level where you can right. say exactly what's wrong and then what's causing it based on right. all the other information you've taken in. Right. We need so, to use your words. Use your words. As you say when you're growing up, your mom says, use your words. Oh, I thought you said use your inside voice. No, my mom used to <laughs> use, use your... Uh, she's, did she ever say use your inside voice? She might have, I don't know, but I remember. Did your mom say, use your words? Use your, like sometimes when I, you know, when you, as a kid and you're like, sure, you know, sure. like whining or whatever, yes. my mom would never tolerate that. She's like, use your words. I just feel that's interesting because I feel like that's, I don't know that my parents did that. I feel like that's a more, like a newer thing. Oh no, my mom would, well, I think also because my mom's bilingual, uh, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, so she, yeah, so she would speak to me you know, in Italian and I would have to respond, right. you know, in Italian. So maybe that's why she would say like, use your words. Cause she was teaching me Italian. Cause that was my first language. You know, English was my second language. I felt like my parents just said, stop crying. <laughs> so <laughs> to the point. very, very New York of yeah. them. I love it. Like stop what are you crying, crying for? Yeah. You want to yeah, cry yeah. about? I'll give you something to cry about. Okay, that's what they used to say. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, so yes. What's the next question? <laughs> Our next question here. You're going to like this one, Deborah. Am I? Comes from Beth Greenwald from Chicago, Illinois. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Beth writes, wondering if any dance instructors ever talk about equipment or gear for dancing. Better use of my core and balance spins occurred once I got custom foot orthotics. No teacher, none, ever suggested I try orthotics. Being that I was an occupational therapist, I realized on my own that orthotics could help support my flat feet. Mm -hmm. and helped me achieve proper weight distribution and body alignment. So I invested in them. Money well spent. Turns out, if fitted properly, orthotics can also lessen foot fatigue and pain. 
To add, I'm not just talking about local pros, I'm including some top-tier internationally reputable professional teachers. This is a large part of the equation for me, and I'm presuming other dancers are as well. So why is it overlooked or left unidentified? Um, first of all, I don't think it's overlooked or unidentified because there are some teachers um, who talk about orthotics and there are others who are against orthotics, yeah. and I'm of the latter. Yes, orthotics do improve posture, weight distribution, flat-footedness, all those things. Um, orthotics were developed and invented to help all those three things that we just talked about. Um, and they work best when you do what you do most, which is standing or walking, because that's what most people do all day, um, every day. Part of dancing is having articulate footwork. Articulate footwork gives you good leg action, which also gives you good body action. And having orthotics in your dance shoes do not allow you to articulate your feet properly because they immobilize your foot a little bit. So my deal is, is that there is no professional um, point ballet dancer who puts orthotics in her point shoes. There's no professional uh, jazz dancer that puts orthotics in their jazz shoes. Now, if they're standing there teaching all day, I've put orthotics in my dance shoes while I'm teaching because most of the, for the most part, when you're teaching, you're standing around a lot, right. right? When you're taking workshops, you're standing around a lot. That's okay. But as far as social dancing is concerned or competition, I do not agree um, with that. And also too, like orthotics are not meant to be worn for the rest of your life. Orthotics are meant to make a correction. And once that correction is fixed, then the orthotics come off. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to rely on, um, orthotics. So yes. Do they help with weight distribution? Absolutely. Do they help with posture? Yes. Do they help with uh, tired feet? Yes. Do they help with flat footedness? Yes. Do I think that you should dance in them and work on your craft dancing in them? No. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And to answer the question of why is it unidentified, I think, as Deborah said, some teachers think it's more important than others. Um, mm -hmm. I personally have worn orthotics, again, usually when I'm teaching or walking. Right. Um, I don't wear them when I dance. Um, I also stopped wearing them when I run, actually, because I wanted to strengthen my feet. Right. So that I didn't need orthotics. Correct. Um, but... Uh, I have talked about them with my students and, you know, for exactly all the reasons we just talked about where they can sure. be corrective and really help if you have bad feet. I had a neuroma in my foot for a while and the, the orthotic was really helpful. And I use them for my bunions. Yeah, absolutely. I've so. told my, listen, I've said to my students to absolutely wear them. I just tell them to not wear them when they're dancing or competing because, you know, you need to learn how to use your feet, articulate your feet properly. Mm -hmm. And with orthotics, you don't feel the floor as well as you do without them, right? And you don't understand how your body distributes weight because your orthotics are adjusting right. for that. Compensate, exactly, yeah. compensating for that, which is why, like I said, orthotics should be worn like when you're standing and walking and all those things. And once that correction is made, then you, then you don't have to wear them anymore. They shouldn't be worn all day for the rest of your life. I don't believe in them. And yes, I know that there's those orthotics that are half, you know, shank and all that stuff. But again, um, you can't articulate your feet with them on. I would also hypothesize that the other reason why a lot of top professionals don't talk about them is that they either don't use them. So it's just not something they think about mm -hmm. um, or 
myself included, I will mention orthotics, but I'm mm-hmm. not an expert in, I'm not an orthopedist. I don't know feet. So I may mention that that's something that somebody might want to consider, but I will tell other people to go talk to somebody who is an expert in that to see. Except the, the orthopedic is not a dancer either. You know what I mean? So, no, they're not. But if it's a right. question of pain in your foot, I'm not sure, a foot doctor. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not a no, podiatrist. Absolutely. So, right, right. you know, I'll say I, orthotics I might be a solution, but you should go talk to a professional who can. Yeah, yeah. And I do know that there are professionals um, that wear, some of them dance on them. And that's fine. I mean, I would say watch their feet. Do they look really articulate? <laughs> right. I don't know. You know, it's, it's just my thing. And, like, you know, to each their own. I mean, um, I I want to ha- I want to have the utmost body awareness that I possibly can have in dancing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like orthotics takes away part of that awareness. Sure. So there's but, that as well. But, Beth, we're glad you found orthotics to help you. Yes. Congratulations. I'm and glad then, it's helping. Yeah. And see yeah, if for it, sure. like Deborah said, if it improves over time, then maybe you, you won't need orthotics. So right. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Switching topics. Great. Here's a question from an event director here in the United States mm-hmm. who wants to stay anonymous. Okay. So this anonymous event director wrote, how and or are events enforcing the new all-star rule system? I have seen some events not enforcing the new system. Is it up to the all-star dancer to bring themselves down or up based on outdated points? Additionally, would love to hear your thoughts in general around the new point system. Just curious as an event director, I I so, don't have an answer for the first one because I just don't know. Well, well, here's my answer for the first one. I do believe that there are some event directors that are enforcing the rule and some event directors that aren't enforcing the rule. Sure. Some event directors believe it should be on the honor system, you know, mm-hmm. and some event directors step in and enforce the rule. How do they enforce the rule? Do you know? Do they like just check points and call people out? Well, I, I think what happens is, is most of the time the head judge is really on top of this, obviously. Mm-hmm. The head judge will see like who's entered, who's not. And then they know from competition to competition, wait, this person's not an all-star. Or is this person a new all-star? And, right. and then we'll bring it to the attention of the event director. And, and then we'll ask the event director, what is it that you would like me to do exactly? Right. Because it's up to the event director's discretion, really, honestly. Yeah. You know, it's like I said, it's, you know, Rules are, there's, these are guidelines. It's, you know, it's not to be taught telling an event director how to run their event. I also feel like, just in general, I mean, yes, the points are a guideline, but we've mm-hmm. also talked about how points are not necessarily indicative. <laughs> yeah, and they're not necessarily indicative of competence. So if there was somebody who was supposed to drop down out of All-Star and they wanted to stay and they can prove themselves, why not? Sure. If they can make it into finals, why not? That's what because, a petition's all about. Yeah, but I mean, even without petitioning, like if an event director wasn't, you know, enforcing the rules very strictly, if right. that person Snuck in. doesn't have the points, yeah, if they don't belong there, they're not going to make finals. That's true. Right? The only, the only time true. I would think that it's important to affect the rules is if you're going straight to finals, where there's no kind of preliminary. But then again, that's also process. not true. Because, no, no well, because. I've I've seen several several competitions where clearly there are specific people that sh- that should have made the final and did not, um, and that's either a case of well they're using the tablet system for the prelims and judges are spending so much time 
scrolling up and down with that tablet and trying and trying to press on a unique score because nice. you have to make a unique score for it to, so that takes a lot of time yeah. so people get lost in the shuffle hmm. um or just you know again like there are some things some judges that look at certain dances or dancers and they're like oh that was a great dance and, and i look at them in complete you know bewilderment <laughs> of like uh really yeah you thought that was a good dance i'm I can't. So if you think that's a good dance, well, then I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. That's why you have different judges in the mix. Hopefully. Right. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or when they yeah. see that person. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, as for the new point system, first of all, I don't know what day it is and what point system we're using anymore. I feel right. like it's <laughs> what year is it? How many points do you get? How many tiers are there? Um, yes. I mean, we've talked about how the points are kind of out of control. Uh, yeah. I understand again that the intention, the intention of creating some order and some fairness around things. Um, personally, I would love to see a different kind of tiers. assessment system. There's six tiers. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, somebody's got to track all that stuff, but personally, I would just rather see an evaluation system that was more confidence based than points based. And I, dream of different ideas and bounce around different ideas with different people, but I don't see the point system going anywhere. Um, Except making them money. Yeah, but it's mm -hmm. not going anywhere. Um, there hasn't been any other system that's effectively been put forth to... I'm shocked about it. Actually. ...manage it, but you know, it, I, I think they're making an effort to try and create some order and fairness out of chaos. And it is what it is. I mean, there's always going to be, as long as you have a system, I feel like there's always going to be people who either intentionally game it or just intentionally, like, they will benefit from it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. I'm not mad. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not I mean, mad. look, what, what are we going to do? You know? No, I, for, I, for one, am doing nothing. Here's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm talking on the naked truth. We'll talk about West Coast Swing. That's right. And, uh, you know, I know that there are people that love this show, but I know that there's some people that feel like we're ruffle, you know, ruffling their feathers. And I say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, yeah, I just don't know. Is there anybody who's like, oh, I love the new system? I mean. The World Swing Dance Council. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, again, I just feel like they're trying to do their best to to create some fairness and order. And, you know, if somebody has a better idea, hopefully they'll come up with it. And I'm sure next year it'll change again. It's just the nature of the beast. I wonder what would happen um, if we got rid of the World Swing Dance Council and we just let every event run the way they want to run it. What would happen? Good question. Do you think people would self-sort? I mean, I, th I think for the most part, people are good, right? Don't you believe that statement? I actually do. And that's, that's right. the thing is that I feel like we have this ridiculously complex system for a minority of people who are benefiting from the system or intentionally gaming it. Right. I think it's kind of the same, uh, you know, BS of like, uh, just to put things into perspective, it's like, so we have these people, these, you know, meth addicts who uh listen who purchase, I want to see where this goes yeah who purchase 
uh, you know, Claritin D to make meth. And that's not the only ingredient that goes into meth. But because these idiots, they're not, they're not a majority of people, mm. buy this Claritin D. Now, someone like myself who uses it for allergies, now I have to go to a drugstore and present my driver's license because of the stupidity right. of other people, right? So I think that's part of kind of like how the, you know, World Swing Dance <laughs> Council is because, you know, stupidity of people. Now we have to police these people. It's kind of like, you know, big government, you know, you're doing, oh, you're doing it all wrong. Let me help you. Right. Let me take away that from you. We'll govern it. Let's let, let us do it. Yeah. I feel like people are good. They'll, they'll, they'll naturally put themselves in the, in the right division. And the ones that don't will get weeded out. That's the hope, right? And there might be some that fall through the cracks. It happens. Sure. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I mean, most people I know, they may want to be at the next level, but most people I know are like, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> and also, too, who wants to be the person that's not ready for the level but goes into the level and then the people that you draw roll the eyes at you going, why are you here? Right. Who wants to be that person? Well, I think the, the flip side of that and the challenge is people who sandbag. So it's like you're, you've been slaying it in this division for over but a guess year. What the and... Sandbaggers will get will be lynch mobbed by people. The people will go up to them and be like, okay, it's time for you to get out of the division now. Right. Knock it off. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like you're not really winning. Well, but that's the thing is that people don't want to move up and be the worst in a division. Even though that's a natural part you of the start process, somewhere. right? And so, yeah, it it needs to be like if you've been winning for a while, get the heck out. Right. <laughs> um, I do agree that most people are self selecting, and I do think that assuming event directors hire qualified judges, mm-hmm. assuming, and they have a good head or chief judge who's kind of just keeping an eye on registrations and where people. Are you know if you like you said if you have a head judge who kind of knows the field and says mm-hmm. oh this person's really been winning but they signed up again and then like goes and kind of mm-hmm. talks to them and says hey what's the deal right, right. like on a case by case basis because I do sure. think it's not everybody that we have to worry about it's a right. handful of people who either are staying too long in their division or um, are jumping up too early and again if they're jumping up too early they're just going to get weeded out. So that's my point. We are making rules for the masses based on a handful of people. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it shouldn't be based on points. It should be based on where you're at in your dancing and when you're ready to move up. Because some people get lots of points and they're hella not ready. Um, and I, I, yes, you're and right. Vice and vice versa. Right. And I'm going to tell you this. There are, there are smart competitors who have the points to move up, but still go consult a pro and say, and who, who knows their dancing and mm-hmm. says, what do you think I should do? I, I've, I've have enough points to move up, but I, but I haven't really won in the division yet, or I haven't really placed as many times as I'd like to place. Um, and to me, those are the smart competitors because they value, no, really they yeah. value the professional's opinion and they'll, and we'll, we'll listen to what the pro has to say because we're looking out for their best interest. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I like it. Do you? Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate when you like my stories. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of judging. Oh boy. 
I love that you're thrilled about every question that comes up. I mean, up. it's just it's just one of those days. Here we go. Okay. Brace yourself. Holding on. This question comes from Farad Mahmoudi from Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Hello, Farad. Hello, Down Under. Yes. I have two questions about variety and musicality from the judge's perspective for leaders. I wonder what are judges looking for when they look for variety? Does it mean to add more variety in my own dance and frame, something like a syncopation, footwork, quality of movement, etc., or add more patterns and pattern extensions to their repertoire? Likewise, for musicality, do judges look at musicality as something that one can express in their own frame and movement, or as a capability of understanding the music and communicating it to their partner and coming up with a musical moment, accentuating the level of their communication and teamwork? All right. So, obviously, it's important for you to have, you know, musicality within your own body, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also important for you to have good, you know, pattern structure within your own dancing or footwork within your own dancing. But the key is to have the ability to, for both of you to do it together, I think. Um, so it's a good skill set to be able to do it by yourself, but can you, can you make you and your partner do it together? Or can you make you and your partner do something together musically, move together musically, but not necessarily do the same movement mm-hmm. musically, like bring each other, you know, bring your partner on the journey um, with you. I feel like one you can't have one without the other. There's nothing worse than having, you know, a male leader who's just dancing by himself and not bringing the follower on, you know, for the journey and vice versa. There's nothing worse than having a follower that does the same thing. Yeah. So, right. So to me, the, it's important to have a little bit of what can you do on your own and, and a little bit of, well, what can we do together? Because you are dancing together. Right. For me, the... My response to this question is yes and. Yes, yeah, yes and. It's, it's not an or. Um, right. So when I'm looking at variety or musicality, I want to see that in the individual and in the partnership. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to skew one way or the other, I'd like to see skew towards partnership because it's a of partner course. dance. So if right. you don't have a lot of variety that you do on your own, but you always do it with your partner, cool. Um but yeah, I want to see variety in your own movement and in what you create with your partner as a leader in terms of like patterns. Um, I want to see uh, musicality in your own body. And I want to see that communicated and translated to the body. Absolutely. It's, it's both. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, you know, tell the audience that we need to quit thinking that West Coast Swing is black and white because it's not. Mm-mm. There's a little bit of gray all the time. All the colors of the rainbow. Right. Totally. (laughs) It's a full spectrum dance. Right. You know, too many people are trying to box themselves into a corner. And, well, is it this or is it that? Well, it's kind of both. Like, almost every question that was either this or that was always both so far. Right. So. And keep in mind, too, when people are judging, it's a very quick judgment call. Nobody's sitting there and saying, oh, well, they moved by themselves. That's one check. And now, now they're doing a partnership thing. And not, you know what I mean? Like, you're kind of taking it all in. Um, and if you're judging a prelim versus a, uh, well, even in a prelim, yes, I'm watching you and your movement, but I am watching how you interact with your partner. Like, you're just kind of taking it all in. Right. But I could, I could make all those questions happen in my head at a split second time. It's oh, different. sure. You know, no, you know I mean, what I mean? We are yeah. using those criteria. I'm just right. saying it's not like we're scrutinizing down to, you know, how much did you do by yourself versus with a partner? I'm not 
calculating it. I'm just kind of looking. I'm saying, do they have some variety in their movement? Cool. Do they communicate that to the partner? Excellent. Mm-hmm. Right? Or are they only dancing by themselves and it has nothing to do with the partner? Are they right. only doing this just underarm pass and left side pass for the whole dance? You know, like mm-hmm. we're factoring that in. It's just like you said, it's split, split decision. It's split not, second timing. Yeah. It's deciding. not either or. We're yeah. looking for all of the above. Right. Right. Question from Leilani Chase Kawakahi. Okay. Sounds Hawaiian. It does sound Hawaiian. But she lives in Mesa, Arizona. Okay. Uh, her question is, how do you find a dance partner, particularly for routines? Well, there's no specific network for that. <laughs> or for, <laughs> right? It's not like a dating game. Or uh, dating you go to now. a psychic, you read some tea leaves. I, right. Uh, so a crystal ball. I think the best way to find a dance partner is first off, um, you know, see if there's someone that you connect with socially on the dance floor. If there's someone that you social dance very well with, uh, then most likely that's the person that you should ask to be a dance partner. But you obviously a lot of things come into account to being a dance partner, you know, responsibilities and time and, and all that stuff. So you have to see if you're on the same page. And um, also, you know, finding a dance partner that's in your city is not as easy. You know, a lot of partnerships are, you know, bi-coastal or just live in different areas. Um, but there is no specific way. But my first, you know, thing is, uh, do I social dance well with them? And then the other thing is like, you can, you can look around the dance floor and be like, wow, that person's a really good dancer. Let me go dance with them. Mm-hmm. What does it, what does it feel like? Ooh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe they will be a dance partner. Um, and maybe you should manifest it too. Talk about it every day, wake up in the morning and say, I want a dance partner. Yeah. That's so-and-so that has this, that da 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 and boom. Yeah. I tell people that finding a dance partner is as tricky, if not trickier than finding a romantic partner. Because it's somebody that you're making a commitment to, to like work on a routine. Um, And to me, I think the most important factor, yes, you should be able to dance well with them for sure, but you better be on the same page, like personality wise. Do you feel comfortable talking to this person? Do you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. giving feedback? Like, if you find somebody you enjoy social dancing with, maybe try some practice with them. Sure. Practice a few times and see how you work together to improve your own dancing. Because right. that's what working on a routine is. You're going to have to constantly work together. You're going to get coaching. You know, maybe take it's a relationship. With them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you also want to be on the same page stylistically. Do you like sure. the same music? Do you want to put the same art out there? Like you said, time and commitment. Do you have the same goals? Um, work ethic all yeah how it. many events do you want to go to how much mm-hmm. time do you have for practicing all of these things so who do you want to study with lot. right um, it's a lot because that that could be you know one person wants to study with one person who has a very different vision than right somebody else are you going to do both right you're going to have a primary coach or are you going to work with lots of people like it's it's tricky to make that work and um for me i just feel like uh i've been blessed to have two great routine partners who I was friends with and got along well with, and we were on the same page. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work for sure. Right. You know, finding a practice partner. I think if there's somebody that you, like you said, you like dancing with, maybe somebody who you're learning with, like in a group Mm -hmm. class, ask them to practice. Um, if it's somebody that you maybe are, you like dancing with, maybe invite them to be your, your dance smarty in a private lesson and see how that goes so they can support you, you know? Also like visually, how do you look together visually? That's true. 
you know, that's important too. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, that's part of the package. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing. It's a, it's a, you know, and you know, being in a dance partnership is a big, big commitment, mm-hmm. especially um, if you're romantically involved with someone who's not in the dance community and now you have a dance partnership with someone else, it's hard for them to understand. Yeah. So that's something too, that you have to figure out as well if you're in a romantic relationship. Right. So that's that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then (laughs) this next question, I think you'll like, uh, because you've been working out a lot lately. Yes. Um, so Mateos, who we, I think answered his question on our last mailbag. Yes. Uh, from Krakow, Poland. So Mateusz or Matus? Matus. Matus. He writes, what is your daily training routine to keep your dance on such a high level? How has it changed during the years? Well, I mean, like right now, I'm, as Eric mentioned, I'm, I'm going back to the gym and I've been in the gym every day. Um, but let's go back to like when I was super competitive. So when I was super competitive, I would, I would, comp- I would practice, um, every day, uh, go to get a chiropractic adjustment every other day, uh, stretch social dance, um, a lot, uh, didn't do much gym because we were in showcase. So we did a lot of lifts and that takes a lot of, you know, even though finesse strength, that was you know, your workout. That was my workout. Exactly. <laughs> um, but now like, now that I, you know, I recently got back into the gym again, but even before I was doing the gym, like you can still keep yourself like physically, um, fit if you're mentally fit. So I would meditate a lot, which I still, I still do. Um, gym, uh, and I also do things like that aren't part of like dancing athletic things that aren't part of dancing that will, you know, keep me in shape. Like, you know, playing volleyball or, um, going on a hike, which I don't do often, but mm-hmm. sometimes, cause it's not my favorite thing to do hiking, honestly. Um, and I think the other thing too is, you know, eating right and getting enough sleep, um, not putting all of your eggs in one basket. Right. Are there things you do to continually develop your craft? Do you do any, uh, drills, exercises, anything you do when you're social dancing? Like, how do you push yourself? Because everybody goes to you for information. How do you keep yeah. growing your dance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's kind of hard to push yourself in the climate that we're in right now with the dance, but that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> but in any case, uh, so I do talk to my peers, mm-hmm. like, you know, what's new, what's going on in dance, like, what are you doing? And I wa- obviously I watch them when they're, when they're competing and stuff. Um, but the thing that used to really motivate me for my dancing was social. That's what really, and right now, I don't have a love for that at the moment. Um, so I, I try to find my fire somewhere else. And, and, and also, like, seeing the U.S. Open's post today doesn't put me in a better space for that. No, really, because, right. you know. Um, so sometimes I just take a step back, too, which helps mm-hmm. to get my body back or my head back where I need to be. But, but I think the most important thing is you need to do what you think works best for you. Right. Right. And, and whatever that may be, 
you know, physically, yes, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Right. Because we need all four of those things to be really good at this dance or yeah. any dance. I think that's a really important point that it's holistic. I think a lot of people work on just the physical aspect of the dance, doing mm-hmm. drills um, and, you know, working on moves. And they forget that this dance is an expression of you as a person, not just physically, but like you said, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and keeping all of those and developing all of those in concert with the physical is going to make you a better dancer. Um, Mm -hmm. It'll help with your creativity. It'll help with being more present with your partner, uh, being more adaptive. Uh, You know, on the physical side, I, when I remember we'll do drills, I don't do a lot, honestly, and I don't do it every day, um, mainly because I'm either running around or busy doing other things. But um, I'll, I have a full length mirror and I'll spend like one song uh, just dancing in front of the mirror. If that's all I get that day, that's all I get. Right. Um, but I'll work on something. So if I'm just because it's my time to be internal and pay attention to my own dancing so that when mm-hmm. I'm social dancing, I can be external with my partner and working on something else, mm-hmm. you know, paying attention to the music and how my partner is there, um, adapting my connection. But when I'm by myself, yeah, that's when I'll work on movement. I'll work on my musical interpretation. Maybe I'll just dance by myself. Forget a mirror. I'm just putting a song too. on I love and just dance. Yeah. I tell my students happens. to do that. And not dance West Coast Swing. I know no, a lot of people are dance. Like, I will dance West Coast Swing without a partner. I'm like, no, no, no. Just no, no, no. freestyle. Yep, totally. Just do whatever. I tell my students to do that all the time. Uh, you'll often see me when I'm teaching and like everybody, I have everybody start doing whatever it is they're doing and I'm watching and I'll just kind of like do a little footwork thing <laughs> underneath me. Like I'm just kind of drilling, you know, because I'll have music on and I'll just keep doing something. Organic. So, yeah, getting that repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, teaching for me is one of the best ways to develop my dance because every time mm-hmm. I learn something mm-hmm. and then I feed it onto my students, it helps me develop my dancing Agreed. and my understanding yeah. of the dance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really important. Uh, well, then yeah. I do drills all the time cause that's all I do in my, the beginning of my right. classes. Yeah. But so you get I'm a lot drilling. of practice over and over yeah. and you're not just telling people you're doing them. No, I do it with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. so yeah, there's lots of different ways. I think the important thing for anybody who is looking to improve their dance is, like Deborah said, find what works for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have time every day to do drills, find the time you can. If you don't have a practice partner, you know, do what you can on the social dance floor to just pay attention right. to your partner and have fun. I think it's really important, though, that in social dancing, we are mindful and present, mindful of yeah. yourself, present with your partner. Yes, but not just social dancing. Let's be, let's be like that in life. That would be great. Yes. Would be great. <laughs> right? Um, but I think when we are trying to be internal, and I know both Brandy and Robert have talked about this, but trying to be internal when you're dancing with a partner is not going to create a great dance with somebody else. Not at all. You need to get out of your head. That's The, the internal time is when you're by yourself or in a practice. Well, it's, such, it's like having a discussion and telepathically sending what you're feeling to them and hoping that they understand it, but that'll get there. You have to speak up. (laughs) Even worse. I feel like it's when you're in a conversation with somebody else and instead you're thinking about like your to-do list. Right. You're not present. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You're not paying attention. Yeah. So being present in social dancing, I think is just super important for making sure that your partner has a good time. Cause at the end of the day, we all want to be the people that everybody wants to dance with. Right. And we've talked about being present a lot Mm -hmm. on a lot of podcasts for sure. 
One last question for you. Oh, boy. Here. <laughs> Every time. Every oh time. Oh, boy. <laughs> and then you know what's going to happen? We're going to finish this podcast. You're going to be like, what are we doing our next mailbag? Like, I just don't. <laughs> but I every time I ask bags. a question, <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. I love the mailbags. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I said I said today it's just a weird day because of all that's happened on <laughs> yeah. the drama of Facebook. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This question comes from somebody named Dio. Or Deo, I'm not quite Deo? sure. Deo. Deo. Daylight come and we want to go home. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Deo writes to us, West Coast Swing is now all over the world. Brazil, Russia, Asia, Europe. How do we encourage local specificities and evolution while preserving some consistency for the dance? Hmm. I know That's my answer to that. That's a tough question. Go ahead. What's your answer? Well, my answer is, um, you know, if you know what those essential elements of West Coast Swing are, mm -hmm. teach those to your students. Mm -hmm. um, let them know what those basic elements are. You know, so we talk, We just spent a whole half hour talking about, like, what swing is and its character. Yeah, but if you don't know what those basic elements are, why even ask this question? I mean, you should know that to teach anything, right? Yes, but in terms of, like, allowing for the specificity of of different movements or evolution, like regionally or locally. I mm -hmm. think if everybody knows what that, that foundation is, that foundation allows for a lot of different things. So if you're playing, you know, locally inspired music, if you have dancers who know regional or local or traditional dances from that area and they bring that styling in, you can still mm -hmm. have West Coast swing, but you're, you're adding these other flavors into it and these other influences while still, uh, keeping it true to the essence of what the dance is. Right? I mean, I we have this conversation all the time on the show, yeah, yeah. in general, like, how does, how does the dance grow? And I think as long as you know the foundational elements of the dance, then that allows for a lot of artistic expression. Well, yes. I mean, you need foundation to in order to grow. I mean, mm -hmm. try building a house with a weak foundation. You can't, Right. The foundation store, you keep building on top of that foundation, larger and larger and larger, gets taller and taller and taller, right? So dancing is the same thing. Um, I feel like that's a head question, though. It's like, I feel like if, if you don't think too much about that, you, you allow for the evolution of the dance, but still keep the specificity of the dance because you're not so much in your head, I think. Because mm. being in your head, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just not a great thing. But we have a lot of, especially if not if you're in my head, but we have a lot of people <laughs> uh, in our community, myself included, who are heady, you know, who do yes. break things down. And we even just talked with Charlotte about like Lance and Wayne, who are both really smart, heady. intellectual guys. Right. Yeah. So um, I think it's I think it's good to ask these kind of questions at the end of the day. Know your dance and what it is and then um, let other influences come in. Right. Like don't right. close it off. Um so, you know, Tatiana talked about how she loves like Bollywood move, uh, movement yes. when they were yes. in India and mm -hmm. this salsa dancer there like brought her own Indian flavor to the dance. Like, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, you know, Brazilians bringing like some Zouk flavor. That's that's had a huge impact on the dance um, and, and introduced a lot of elements. So know what your dance is, know what West Coast Swing is. And then let these other things kind of come in and play within that, that pool. 
Right. I think we should give the advice to everyone in the West Coast Swing Dance community to be less heady and more like, so let's do, let's do this. If you're someone who's really heady, try to step outside of your comfort zone and let that go for a moment. Cause sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone allows you to, um, create mm -hmm. because you're in uncharted territory and things kind of happen. So if you're very heady, try not to be heady. And if you're someone who's really organic, that needs a little bit of structure, try to do some drills to help you structure your movement so we can find a happy medium. Yes. We so. talk about it as not stepping outside of your comfort zone, but expanding your comfort zone. Exactly. Make it a little bigger. Get comfortable yes. with the uncomfortable. Right. It's okay. Yes. How are you feeling? Are you still feeling the anxiety of the day? <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go have a drink. Okay. Or two. Yeah, there was another episode where I needed a drink. Was that right after the open, I think, I needed one? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> we just, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us, you can post a comment on our website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me at any time through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or send us a message through our Facebook page. To get the latest news about our podcast, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, and follow us on Instagram at the Naked Truth WCS. And you know, as always, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Naked Truth WCS. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Don't forget, you can buy some stylish swag at our online store. Just go to the Naked Truth WCS.com forward slash store to buy yours today. We can ship it to you or we can get it to you at an upcoming event. Again, that's the naked truth, wcs.com forward slash store. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a review over on iTunes. It helps us to spread the word. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And, and that's, that's the, the Naked, naked Truth. truth. Yeah, it's just, I mean, was it, which conversation was it when I said I have a love-hate relationship with the dance community? Um, probably 10 out of the 40. <laughs> <laughs> ah, <that's true. laughs> so I mean, right we now. talk about that all the time. <laughs>